right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather back around. Uh, it is a big day in the crypto sphere because uh, it's Bryce and Pizza Mind back at it yet again with another Crypto 101 podcast. Pizza Mind, how are you doing? I'm doing well over here in Brazil. I've been treated well so far, and I actually met another expat from Los Angeles. <laughs> an expat. Who... You've been there for two days in referring I to know. himself as an expat. <laughs> I, it, it's going to happen, man. Well, I, I met a guy who actually is. He's from Los Angeles, a little bit older than me. He says he came to Sao Paulo like 15 years ago and sold his business and never went back. And he was telling me all the amazing things about Brazil and just how life is better here and this and that. And we had a lot in common, actually. So I was like, oh, this is actually refreshing to see and hear someone else has gone through what I'm going through already and they turned out okay. And all these intuitions I've had and research I've done, it's not just me losing my mind. These are actual observations that make sense to more than just me. So that was a relief. Um, And I didn't need an entire think tank to come up (laughs) with these things. You know, it's not like I needed a whole chamber of progress to say, hey, life down in South America uh, is doing things a little bit better. I mean, what what would your chamber of progress look like anyway? That's like something out of Harry Potter 1984, isn't it? No, well, it's funny you mentioned it. Um, Yeah. the, uh, what a good lead-in. Uh, no, the the Chamber of Progress. Um, we're going to find out what that is. Um, we're joined Wait, that's today. a real thing? It's a real thing, and we're joined by the Director of Financial Policy, uh, Janae Eo, who's going to really tell us not only about the, the Chamber of Progress here in the States, um, and hopefully what a, a good you know progression for financial policy will be, um, here for the crypto sphere, but we're going to look at a specific case, um, the Coinbase versus SEC um, lawsuit that's going on. So, Janae, welcome to the show, and thanks for bearing with all of our crazy antics up front. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. I remember when I first started at Chamber of Progress, and I would tell people about where I worked, and they said, "Oh, like, is it like Harry Potter Chamber of Secrets?" <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear. When I think chambers, that's what I think first. You know, We got a lot when we started telling people we work in crypto, too. People were like, oh, so you work for Bitcoin? We're like, no, not exactly. And they're like, well, what exactly? Is this real? Is this what is going on here? So we can relate. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, it's interesting that the Chamber of Progress um, is taking such a keen look at crypto. Is this like a chamber what is it like is it like a group of people in dc that have been around for decades or is it something new what what is the 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 mission here yeah so we're actually a tech policy organization we advocate for technological leaps in our society and we have uh, three main branches that we work on uh, when it relates to policy so we do work in tech policy which is like content moderation and uh, marketplaces, biometrics, and then we have somebody that works on civic innovation. So your ride shares, um, your um, your um, type like DoorDash Airbnbs. kind of apps, Airbnbs, and then I work on all of the financial policy stuff. So all of the things that are technology focused in finance. So uh, I work with fintech companies, I work with digital asset companies, and maybe more. We'll see. We'll see how far the metaverse goes. 
Uh, but we're actually in our startup mode. I want to say we're in our second year now. Um, so we're still fairly new to Washington. And our, our founder, you know, his vision was to kind of shake up Washington, you know, kind of give give a fresh voice to some of these issues that, you know, a lot of people kind of, you know, they shy away from because it's brand new, it's cutting edge, it's innovative, you know, so that's why we're, we're here. So, so how does um, a think tank work is, do you guys go out and find people to work with or do people seek you out? And, and what's, um, what does a think tank do, I guess? Like, are, are you guys giving advice to um, companies or advice to like lawmakers? So we're actually a trade association. Um, so we do have partners that do seek us out and they, you know, they pay a membership fee to join our organization. Um, but we have total independence from some of their uh, mindsets and viewpoints on their company's business models. Um, so I would say it kind of gives us a little bit of an edge when it comes to your traditional think tank, at least, or not, not think tank, I'm sorry, traditional trade association, at least the ones that we see in Washington where, um, you know, it's kind of he, he who pays the most, you know, calls the shots. Mm. Um, so in that regard, um, I would say we do get a lot of, of both ways. So we get people that are interested in, in joining. And then we also find companies that are really interested, uh, really interesting. They're doing a lot of interesting work. And we definitely reach out to them to see if they're, you know, um, you know, if they have um, any type of policy uh, that they're focused on in, in Washington and in the States as well. So it's definitely dual sided. Um, and we do a lot of education. We do a lot of outreach. Uh, we do a lot of advocacy work. So we we engage with lawmakers at the federal and state level on issues that matter to us in each of our policy areas uh, that we focus on. And it's, it's a really great experience just getting to meet so many people that are passionate about innovation and passionate about kind of moving this country forward when it comes to, you know, making sure that people are accounted for and people are considered, all people are considered when it comes to, you know, our leaps in our society. That's amazing. So we've often gotten lost in the smoke and mirrors that have happened throughout this long bear market. Can you tell us the truth of what's really going on in D.C. in terms of crypto and the crypto industry? Do they want to accept crypto? Are they really going to pass laws that are going to allow this industry to stay in the U.S.? What do things look like from your vantage point? Well, I would say that in Washington right now, there's definitely been a, uh, a swing in the right direction towards, you know, getting some regulatory rules of the road. Um, when it comes to establishing a, the proper framework for digital assets to thrive in this country, not just exist, we want it to thrive. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I would say um, this Congress in particular has been really focused on, you know, making sure that, you know, people understand digital assets a little bit more. So there's been a lot of congressional hearings on digital assets uh, in the past few months. There's been a lot of outreach uh, done um, with members, lawmakers, staff, a lot of briefings done. So people are definitely more aware of the issue this year compared to previous years um, as it relates to digital assets. I will say that um, President Biden uh, did issue an executive order to develop a responsible framework for digital assets. Um, I want to say a, few, a year ago, maybe two years ago. Yeah, about um, a year or two ago. 
Yeah, about a year or two ago. And so the agencies were kind of put on notice, you know, about this issue and, and they all prepared reports and things like that um, to submit uh, to the president for review. And so th- there's been a lot of talk in Washington about digital assets. And, you know, I would say on in the legislative branch, you know, there are a lot of people who they support it and they're outspoken about how they support digital assets. And then there are people that are really against digital assets. They don't find a use for it. And um, Elizabeth they're Warren's very, uh, they're anti-crypto also, army. Yes. Elizabeth Warren's anti-crypto army. And, you know, because <laughs> of, because of that, uh, that anti-crypto army word, I mean, we've, we've just been hearing so many things about, you know, there being a war on crypto um, in Washington, but there, I don't think there's really a war on crypto. I think people are just still trying to figure out what, what these things are. Um, And the, the loudest people in the room are often the ones that, you know, have the early advantage of swaying everybody else. But I think just with more education through hearings and, um, you know, thoughtful proposals, legislative proposals, we can really get to a place that we can, you know, have a proper framework that will benefit everybody in society. Yeah, definitely. Now, there's there's lots of discussion now about the digital assets uh, market structure bill, I think, that is being discussed right now by a couple of different committees. Um are you anticipating that that's going to continue to be like positive and you know moving the ball forward? It seems like it has pretty bipartisan level of commitment. Um, well, I'm not entirely sure about the digital market structure bill when it comes to bipartisan support, but I will say that any legislation that's introduced by a member on this issue is rolling the ball forward. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting to see different proposals coming from the House, coming from the Senate. You know, everybody has really great ideas as to what a proper framework should look like. And I'm not I don't know if I'm foreshadowing this, but I think, you know, legislation, you know, all of this regulatory framework coming from Congress is really the right way to um, regulate the space. Mm. I don't think that, you know, agencies should really overreach when it comes to enforcing and, and that sort of thing. They should really wait on Congress to make that decision for them. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, all of the proposals that have come out in the past Congress and in this Congress is definitely moving the ball forward. And I even wanted to flag that the Lummis Gillibrand bill that was introduced last year is going to be reintroduced this week. Oh, wow. um, so that's definitely some that was definitely a key piece of legislation last year that propelled the digital asset movement forward. Yeah, no, yeah, that's great shout to out hear. To Cynthia um, Loomis. Yeah, yeah, she she she's she seems like a really cool um, woman senator from uh, Wyoming who's got a lot of uh, really good things cooking. Um, but I, like you mentioned, um, you were foreshadowing a little bit to kind of the the meat of the discussion today, which is this Coinbase versus SEC. Um, lawsuit that's unfolding. Tell us, you know, what is it? It it, it has been donned this regulation by enforcement um, sort of regime that uh, Mr. Gary Gensler is um, kind of presiding over. So why is the SEC going after Coinbase? And, and what does this all mean for the average crypto user at home? So I would say that um Coinbase um, has worked very closely with the SEC in the past few years. In fact, they have reached out to the SEC multiple times to They're get a public company. 
Yeah, they're a public company, you know? so they had to work closely with the SEC to get that sign-off to become a publicly traded company. Right. Um, and at the time of, you know, Coinbase going public, you know, a lot of the tokens that are being alleged are securities right now by the SEC were, you know, that was, you know, it was fine back then. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Coinbase, you know, rejects most of the coins that do apply to be listed by their uh, marketplace. So they're pretty thorough um, exchange uh, compared to some other exchanges that are also in. Yeah, I, th- the I think limelight. Brian Armstrong said that he um, declines like ninety five percent of the coins that apply. And it's like that's a huge margin that they're leaving on yeah. the table, right? They could charge listing fees and all that stuff, but they're doing that because they don't meet their standards, right? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And you know they've also you know Coinbase has done you know, they've gone out of their way to work with the SEC to, you know, create rules of the road. Like they, they've offered to provide that insight that, you know, the SEC at the time, maybe a few years ago was, they lacked the the brain power, the manpower to process, you know, what rulemaking would look like for digital assets. And Coinbase actually stepped in and offered to help and SEC, you know, kind of left them by the wayside. So this lawsuit, um, you know, just kind of, alleges that, you know, Coinbase is participating in in activities that are violating securities law. And um, I think that, you know, this lawsuit is just, it's kind of, it's, it's really disappointing, honestly, because, you know, you have a company that's gone out of their way to, to really work closely with the SEC. They've done their due diligence. They've crossed all of their T's. They've dotted all of their I's. And there is another... Um, you know, another instance where, you know, this happened with Grayscale, um, which was a, a they were trying to convert their their trust into an ETF and they were denied by the SEC. But they had been working closely with the SEC for years as well, um, you know, on getting their products approved and, you know, avoiding regulatory scrutiny. And, you know, I, I think the parallel here is, you know, you have companies that are really going out of their way and the SEC is just kind of stabbing them in the back every time. And what I think is so interesting about that is, you know, Gary Gensler is saying, you know, on Twitter and he's saying on YouTube, oh, come in and, and talk to us, come in and register. You know, I want to hear from you. Um, but it's it's totally one sided. It's you know, it's not you know, there's no collaboration there when it comes to um, the SEC and, and, you know, how that's looking for um for the regulatory landscape um, when it comes to digital assets. And ultimately, you know, the the people who are owning digital assets on marketplaces or using marketplaces to buy uh, tokens, I mean, those are these are the people that are really going to be left kind of out of luck because as these companies get frustrated, you know, they're just going to throw their hands up and possibly leave the country. And, and then what, you know? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's it's not a good it's not a good outlook for your average uh, crypto holder. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even DeFi protocols now are trying to cover their tracks by banning U.S. citizens because they don't want the SEC coming after them. Um, And that really defeats the entire purpose of crypto, which was to create a financially inclusive environment for people who can't participate in the traditional banking system for one reason or another. Um, And now the red tape is causing the same problems that have made the traditional banking sector unreachable for the majority of the world. So something definitely has to change there. But you made a quip earlier that I wanted to circle back on. You said that he who you know donates the most money calls the shots in D.C. And now you've got BlackRock coming into this space, and no one has more money to throw around than they do. And they want to start offering crypto products because of their client demand. And they want a Bitcoin ETF, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think now with this narrative change from one of the major players that runs the show uh, that some of these lawsuits may just end up getting dropped. Is there any chance for that happening? Well, I I just wanted to say uh, first off that BlackRock and um, some other traditional uh, financial institutions, they've actually invested in the digital asset space. They've been investors for some time now. And I think that it's interesting that um, you know, we see these new ETF filings and they're publicly interested in doing a lot more, you know, because they've kind of been hiding in the shadows for so long, for so long. So I just think it's very interesting to see that. Um, I uh, remember um, when this Grayscale uh, lawsuit happened, I think I, I also made another quip. I, I make a lot of quips. Um, you know, I, I said that, you know, the government uh, regulators, when I refer to the government, they're kind of holding the door closed on the digital asset, you know, uh, native companies, while financial institutions that they know and trust are understanding the technology a lot better to create similar products and services that would essentially eliminate the need for those digital asset native companies to exist. That's and exactly right. Call me Miss Cleo, but I think this is happening now when we see these current products coming out. And then there was this recent report that that came out with uh, the New York Fed. They've been working with traditional banks on, you know, establishing, um, you know, a digital a digital dollar that could circulate on a, on a permission based blockchain. So I think that this premonition is coming to pass, unfortunately. But I think the thing that that happens is that, you know, you have, this is a very community-based uh, space. This is a movement. Um, and, you know, as much as you see, you know, these companies like BlackRock and JP Morgan Chase, um, you know, they're they're all creating products and services on the blockchain. I think the people who've really stuck with crypto uh, from the beginning, they're not going to leave the companies that they know and trust. You know, at this point, you have banks and traditional institutions that are convincing people that are kind of iffy on digital assets to begin with. You know, these are your average, you know, investors that are, you know, investing in 401ks and they have stocks and bonds. They're they're trying to convince their already existing customers of those products that they should invest in crypto. Mm-hmm. I think the the hill for them is a lot steeper than, you know, your Coinbase's. That's just a hot take. Yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> I love it. I love all the hot takes. Do you do you think that like I mean, do you think this ETF is going to get approved? Do you think 
Coinbase is going to win their lawsuit. Grayscale is going to win their lawsuit. Hashtag fire Gary Gensler. Like, do you think it's going to go that way or are you like not so fast? Well, I, I think that I think that if BlackRock's ETF gets approved, then Grayscale's ETF will also have to get approved. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the SEC is going to make that decision bef- about BlackRock's ETF before the Grayscale case is resolved. Um, so I, I mean, I would hope that, um, you know, I hope that, you know, our digital asset native companies will win their lawsuits because that's really a way to, you know, signal to the SEC that, hey, you're you're stepping way too far. Um, you know, you're doing a lot of regulatory overreach here. Um, so I, I think that's really the best case scenario for digital asset companies is to is to win your case, you know, that you have against the SEC, whether you initiate it or they do. Um, I think another thing that, you know, I, I, al- I always want to, you know, put this out there that, you know, there are a lot of smaller companies that are not Coinbase um, that are really scared to operate in this space right now because, I mean, the hammer could fall any day from the SEC. And, you know, these lawsuits, they're not cheap. They're like tens of millions of dollars. And so you're essentially pricing out, you know, your creators that, you know, don't have Coinbase money, that don't have Grayscale <laughs> money. <laughs> they yeah. just don't have it. And so you're you're essentially shutting the door on, on you know, your you know, smaller company that wants to create change in this space, that wants to be a driver of innovation in this space. And they just they can't afford the regulatory costs of a a lawsuit from the SEC or any other state regulator. So that uncertainty is also killing, killing creators. Oh, absolutely. Do you think that the SEC or the CFTC are even the right, you know, bodies of government to be making decisions on digital assets or because there's so many ways to use and construct a digital asset. Should there be a unique body that simply looks at all the different nuances and can at least verify that something is or isn't a scam before approving or disapproving it? How would you, you know, construct regulation around this industry if you are the person in charge? Well, I, I think when it comes to this question, um, I, I really think that creating a new body um, is it might be a little redundant just because you have so many agencies that kind of work on digital assets already. And some agencies do it very well. I think there needs to be a lot of collaboration. There needs to be a lot more collaboration between these agencies on digital assets. Um, I really do think that the SEC and the CFTC, they really need to draw a line in the sand as to what constitutes a digital commodity. So that would fall under the jurisdiction of the CFTC. And then what constitutes a digital security? And that would fall under the purview of the SEC. And then, you know, kind of outline what a process, what that process would look like as a token transitions from a commodity to a security or from a security to a commodity. Just because from what I've seen in this space, you have a lot of tokens, you have NFTs that, you know, they start out as one thing and then they transition to something else. Um, they're kind of like chameleons and the financial space is not, they're not familiar with. Not as you know, dynamic. <laughs> yeah, not as dynamic at all. Like a stock is always going to be a stock. Yeah. Um, so I think there there needs to be a lot more collaboration from the agencies on on what what that fluidity can be 
And instead of like having the turf war that we're seeing right now, uh, which is turning into a lot of gridlock, um, I would also say um, that, you know, looking at the financial, the traditional financial um, institutions right now, I mean, they have self-regulatory bodies. Um, I think that the digital asset space should have something similar. And I think that one of the things that uh, digital asset companies need to do is they need to call out bad actors a lot sooner than, um, you know, than the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because when you have, you know, people like Sam Bankman-Fried or even CZ, um, you know, when they're being exposed by Wall Street Journal, everyone is seeing this, everyone, including lawmakers. And if they don't hear any warnings from the industry, um, you know, it kind of, it's not a good look. Um, So I would definitely, those would be kind of my, my, you know, right off the head recommendations. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always tough to see who the bad actors are because, you know, Sam Bankman fried I mean, what a classic example of just somebody who just fooled everyone. Um, I mean, he was taking pictures with lawmakers. He was seemed like he was, you know, virtue signaling the right things at the right time. And, you know, he was perpetrating um, this crime the whole time, you know, and then, you think somebody might look a little rough around the edges or might not say the right things, but they've got honest intentions. And so it always is tough. Uh, You never know. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And there's other people who are in DC trying to fight the good fight, like the blockchain association and several Mm -hmm. others. Can you shout out who else is working, you know, on our behalf in DC to try and create a favorable regulatory environment? Well, yeah, I would say, um, you know, Blockchain Association has definitely been uh, a leader with, you know, uh, building relationships and education. And they also have a a blockchain foundation, which is doing a lot as well with financial literacy, um, digital literacy and, you know, blockchain education, which I think is so important. So, so important because a lot of people on Capitol Hill have little to no uh, knowledge about what blockchain is about a lot. You know, yeah. About, about a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, but coming from there, you, you have to learn a lot of things. So you're, you're not really mile deep in issues. You're kind of an inch, you're an For inch sure. deep and then a mile across. So you know about a lot of different things, but you don't know so much that you would be considered like a subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what a lot of staffers experience, you know, when you're on the Hill, you, you have a lot of things being thrown at you. Um, but yeah, blockchain association, Crypto Council for Innovation, they're also doing a lot of great work. Chamber of Digital Commerce. Um, I'm trying to think if there's there's more. But those are the ones that are definitely at top You're of mind. that are fight. Fighting the good fight. Coin Center as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Coin Center. Those guys are good. Yeah. No, there's a lot of good folks. Um, and then, of course, all of all of the uh, the folks you know that are actually embattled in these lawsuits right now that are hopefully going to define some good case law you know, what, what is it like, um, you know, do you have timelines like on any of these things that people in DC are tracking, you know, the Coinbase thing, like, could that go years or is it going to be months? Is this going to, like, is it, I see you shaking your head, which one? Years. Years. I mean, just look at the Ripple case. I mean, that's been going on for, it's been dragged on. Yeah. I, I, I suspect that these cases will still be ongoing even after Gary Gensler leaves the SEC. 
So, and I think that was his goal. You know, he wants to start the case, but he doesn't necessarily want to finish the case. (laughs) (laughs) Coward. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. No. (laughs) Like to stir up the trouble instead of face the consequences. If that's not the U.S. government in a nutshell, I don't know what is. (laughs) So how's the rest of the world being affected by this? Is it, you know, the U.S.'s loss is everyone else's gains or does the fear spread like a contagion like the pandemic did? And now everyone's afraid to, you know, do anything and innovate because they won't have access to the world's largest market. Um, I would say business is booming in other parts of the world. I mean, whatever, you know, I mean, there are a lot of countries that are really doing a lot of good work when it comes to attracting uh, digital asset companies. I mean, just thinking about what the UAE is doing, they put out their regulatory framework. Uh, the UK, I think they they have a bill that's similar to Mika that may have passed already. I'm not entirely sure, it's, or it's close to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just read somewhere that China now is like a, is now becoming a crypto hub in Asia. I mean, 15 percent of the crypto workforce in Asia is based in China. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, the U.S. is, you know, they're taking their time and, you know, that's that's pretty consistent when it comes to financial innovation, you know, just with, um, you know, with looking at different trends uh, during, you know, the olden times and up to now, um, the U.S. is usually the last people to adapt um, technology when it comes to financial services. And so, you know, but no, in that time frame. haven't picked up the metric system yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so other countries are definitely uh, seizing this opportunity, you know, capitalizing, which isn't yeah. a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I, it's like, you know, America's got the, the strongest financial markets and the best, you know, security and all that kind of stuff. And so I think they're, as the incumbent, definitely most skeptical to uh, introduce new things because they got the most to lose. So everything, you know, that makes that makes sense. But, um, you know, it's not just crypto, right? There's There's all sorts of other technologies. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of pick your brain on while we still had you for, for a couple minutes was just like other technologies that the Chamber of Progress is discussing or keeping their eye on that maybe the average person doesn't really understand how impactful it'll be that might also at some point interact with crypto or our lives. Well, this is this is actually really interesting. Um, I, I would say, so I admittedly, I focus so much on financial policy that I'm not really so focused in on um, what's going on in civic innovation. But I would say whenever I hear about these electric vehicles or autonomous Mm. vehicles, I just think it's so fascinating and it's changing. It's definitely going to change the way our workforce, you know, how our workforce looks um, and, you know, what it looks like for transportation, you know, modern transportation. And then I would even say another thing I, I find interesting, and this is something that we're increasingly doing more engagement on is artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. AI is the new it girl in Washington. <laughs> the new blockchain. <laughs> yes, it's the new blockchain. And so, you know, I'm really curious to see how um, how digital asset companies can utilize AI you know, is it is it going to be helpful to the industry? Is it going to be hurtful? Um, what would AI look like um, if it's implemented in traditional financial services as well? Um, so it's definitely something that we're we're doing a lot of research on and talking to people about. Um, because I mean, people, I mean, companies use AI right now as like you know for chatbots and things like that, usually for customer service based uh, things. But when it comes to other aspects of 
business, you know, it's really interesting to see how that would, how that would, um, interact with each other. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited for, for all that, the AI plus all the self-driving cars. I mean, that's going to be incredible when you can just kind of hop in an Uber. Hopefully it'll drive costs down. Uh, freaking uh, these Ubers are getting so expensive these days. I don't know if that's just in California or everywhere, but it's here too. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. What were you going to say, I uh, Aaron? I was going to say one of the best use cases I think for AI and crypto is having a real time smart contract auditor. So mm-hmm. it's alerting every smart contract as it comes live to the blockchain. You know, if there's bugs in it. Uh, or if there's backdoors or whatever the case is, it's almost like having a senior IT administrator just watching over all the blockchain all at once saying, hey, uh, if there's something that can potentially be hacked, we can fix it right now as soon as it's deployed instead of having it be live in the wild for six months before you know, some North Korean hacking team comes in and steals $100 million. So I think that's a great use case for AI. <laughs> now somebody go build it. Hopefully we've inspired you. No, it's you. already out there. Believe That's it awesome. or not, yeah, who, they're who, already who doing it that? right now. Zero X Zero is one of them. Oh yeah. Um, there's, um, I believe, maybe one of. The, I'm not sure if it's Certic or Hacken that already uses AI in a lot of their auditing processes. Uh, but there, there's several others that are like live services that are going to be kind of monitoring the blockchain at the RPC level or the wallet level. Uh, just looking at these contracts as you interact with them, making sure that they're actually safe to do so. Yeah. Who was the guy we uh, we spoke with recently from Harpy? Uh, Daniel Chong. Yeah. yeah, Daniel Chong from Harpy. That was a cool. Sorry to, to go, you know, uh, talk about this, but yeah, I, there are people that are working on security um, and, and AI. You know, huge, huge ad, value add to the uh, the entire crypto ecosystem. Um, Got to have safe stuff. I think that's why a lot of these senators and Regulators are so kind of upset because, like, look at all these hacks. Like, how are we going to trust something that we don't understand? So, got to get it right the first time before we roll out this Bitcoin ETF. There's a trillion dollars in it, and then it goes missing to North Korea. That that would be bad. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah, but um, is there anything else that we didn't ask you that you wanted to touch on uh, with any of this law, that Coinbase lawsuit, or anything else going on in DC? I just wanted to say that you know. It's going to take some time for bill to actually be passed into law. Um, the mm. process is not as clear cut as one would think. I know we all have seen like Schoolhouse Rock, and it's it's oh, really yeah. not it's not that easy. Um, <laughs> just thinking about you know big um, you know regulatory bills like Dodd Frank. I mean Dodd Frank took about five six years to pass. Mm. Um, so this it's not it's definitely not a sprint to the finish line. It's it's we're at the start of a marathon. Um, but I will say that while, um, you know, while the federal government is figuring out what a federal framework looks like, um, a lot of states have taken, you know, they've taken the lead on developing um, their own rules and regulations for their state and for their for their residents. And I would say the leaders in this space right now are New York and California with their proposed with New York's bit license and then California's proposed uh, bill. Um, you know, right now that's being, that's still going through the Senate right now. So it's called AB 22, no, not 2269. That was it last year. AB 39. So these are, this these is are not bills. a Brad Sherman bill, is it? No, it's not a Brad Sherman bill. He hates oh, crypto. Thank God. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, I can breathe. <laughs> 
But yeah, these are these are states that are really leading in, you know, making sure that their consumers are protected. And so that's definitely a trend that we've been picking up on. And it's definitely going to be, um, you know, what what will happen in the next couple of years while the federal government figures out what they need to do. Incredible. All right. Well, uh, where can people get involved with the Chamber of Progress um, and maybe keep track of everything going on? So our website is progresschamber.org. And then my Twitter, my personal Twitter is at Janae EO. So first, last name. Um, And you can also find us on Twitter as well at at Progress Chamber. All right. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Janae. And uh, for everybody at home listening, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys around. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. <laughs> 